You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, episode 126. The Canadian immigration process can be complex and frustrating. With the Canadian Immigration Department making it virtually impossible to speak to an officer, there are few places to turn to for trusted information. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest on immigration law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy, as he is joined by industry leaders across Canada, sharing insight to help you along your way. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm Mark Holthy, your host, and I'm here with my my co-host, Alicia Backman-Behari. How are you, Alicia? I'm doing well, Mark, and uh, I'm glad to be back and recording another podcast because I think this is an issue that's going to be of interest to many, many employers and also to workers who want to make sure that they know that they're getting a job offer from a reputable employer. Indeed. So we've seen over the last number of years the the fact that the labor market is starting to heat up in Canada and employers have to go through an unbelievably painful process in order to get their labor market impact assessments approved. And if you start listening to our episodes all the way back to episode 100, Alicia and I have gone through the whole temporary foreign worker program, all the ins and outs. And this is a new development that we hope will be of benefit to some employers who fit within the narrow parameters of, of eligibility. But essentially, um, there was an announcement made by our our dear, uh, our dear government about this two-phased, I guess, process that they're rolling out and uh, which started September 2023 when the stage one was was first released but it's designed to reward those good employers and to make the process a little bit more streamlined for them a little bit easier because it's an unbelievable amount of work not just for us as immigration lawyers who are representing our clients to put these together you know and, and working with our clients to make sure the ads are all perfect and that the application forms are all complete it's really a lot of work but it's a lot of work for the officers as well so if they can compartmentalize some employers that they know are just doing it right and they are recognized as being good employers then they can be a part of this REP this recognized employer pilot so maybe if you want to just start off Alicia just a little bit kind of give a, a, an overview of what what we're looking at here Mm -hmm. And just for all of our listeners, Mark didn't say two-faced, he said two-phased, but there are some nitty-gritty details that people need to be aware <laughs> of when looking at this program. <laughs> it kind of sounded like that, I thought it'd clarify. Um, yes, there are two phases, and we first heard about this program, it was first announced August 8th of 2023 when they said they want to cut the red tape and they want to help recognize employers who are doing it right, who have the highest quality standards. But we didn't actually get the program instructions until fairly recently. So here here's some of the deadlines and things to be aware of because it is a bit confusing the way that they have structured it. They say it's a three-year pilot program that's going to end September 16th, 2024. And wait a minute, they just announced it in the fall of 2023. So how is that a three-year program? Well, 
we figure the reason they're calling it a three-year program is because there are two phases. The first phase actually started already in September of 2023, and it was only for phase one occupations. So keep in mind, um, these are the occupations that are listed on the on the government website. If you go there, you can look at the drop-down list, and it's largely for agricultural positions. Then phase two is supposed to roll out starting in January of 2024, and that is for a much larger phase two occupation list. Companies have to qualify. They have to have had three positive LMIAs from the phase one or two list within the last five years, but there is some allowance because of COVID. So if a company has had three positive LMIAs within the last five years, then they are eligible to be considered for this program up until September 16th, 2024, when new enrollment will cease. So keep in mind that even though it's they've called it a three-year program and it'll continue to go on until technically December of 2026, really you've got to be on the ball right away so that you get your LMIAs recognized, submitted, and approved before September 16th, 2024. All right. So one of the things I know, Alicia, we, we talked about is just the specific, specific requirements and some of the confusion that is is in place about, you know, what, what constitutes eligibility with respect to previous LMIAs. And um, we were reading the initial announcements back in August, and they gave some indication that only employers who had obtained previous LMIAs in accordance with what Alicia had just discussed here, um, in the same occupations in which they were seeking a new LMIA would be eligible, which of course that would be tremendously restrictive. Um, and then as we've now started to read a little bit more about the instructions, um, at least a plain reading of these of these policy instructions suggests that if you have had LMIAs within these 84 occupations on the list, that you may be eligible. And I'll be honest, I'm still a little bit foggy with this, a little bit hazy, Alicia. So we'll have to see how this how this plays out. And I guess generally speaking, if someone has been using the LMIA uh, and the Temporary Foreign Worker Program for some time and they're quite active users of it, usually the positions you're going to be asking for are ones that you've maybe applied for in the past, those specific knocks, but not necessarily depending upon companies that are a little bit larger that have a broader need base. So I don't know what your thoughts on that, Alicia, or how you intend to advise your clients at this stage until we get hard, firm confirmation back from ESDC. Mm -hmm. And so this is the tricky part, because when we look at the backgrounder that was released back in August, it does say that the employer has to have had three LMIAs approved, and it says in the same occupation. That's what the backgrounder says. But now when you go on to, so wh what are we talking about? Where can you find it? If you go on to the hire a temporary foreign worker and the main page, and they've got a whole bunch of subsets. Now one of those subsets is hire a temporary foreign worker through the recognized employer pilot. And if you look down here on the wages, working conditions and occupations, it has the phase two list, which is the one that most people will be likely using unless you're dealing with the phase one, which is only livestock laborers, harvesting laborers, specialized livestock workers and nursery and greenhouse laborers. So most people are not going to be in that egg category in phase one, they'll be in phase two. So 84 occupations, list of not codes are there. It doesn't specifically say that an employer has had to have three 
LMIAs within the last five years in the same occupation. It just says three LMIAs within the last five years. And there is a little bit of wiggle room on those last five years. So if you go to the program requirements section, um, it will say that if employers were impacted by COVID, then as long as you've had a positive LMIA, either this year in 2023 or last year in 2022, they will actually look back all the way to 2016 to see if you've had two other positive LMIAs. So those are some of the good news aspects of this, this program. But we're, what we're not clear about because the program guidance doesn't actually specify is if you have to have three same occupation LMIAs or if you can have different occupations within that phase two list. And the reason that we're thinking maybe it could be di different occupations is if you look at what they talk about um, in terms of the mechanics of how you apply, it talks about whether you've not had a history in your LMIA fields when they're going to simplify the process for you. So we'll get into that right away here in terms of what are the benefits of this program, Mark? Why would somebody want to yeah. apply here? Yeah, this is really the question that people ask. Okay, well, one, well, what, what, how does this change my world? Well, as an employer, you know, when you're initiating your your next LMIA with the anticipation after January when this goes live, um, there's nothing really different that you have to do in terms of the initial application. So it's going to be in the hands of ESDC to determine whether or not they feel you're you're a rep, a recognized uh, employer for the purposes of the pilot, but. Clearly, um, the process is designed to reward employers with high standards. And Alicia and I, we've been at this gig for a long time, and there's some pretty scuzzy outfits out there who are securing LMIAs and not necessarily doing things the way they should be done, um, who don't have very clean track records when it comes to compliance. And, uh, and so one of the pros is that the companies who do it right, who take the time, and it's, it's hard to do things properly. It's hard to screen through, you know, candidates and make sure you're keeping proper records and, and maintaining, um, you know, just compliance with all of the various requirements of the uh, of the LMIA process. Um, it's not easy. So employers will be rewarded. Um, then one huge benefit as well is an extension of the 18 month validity period to a full 36 months, which is a long period of time, which grants employers tremendous flexibility. So if you're able to get a labor market impact assessment approved and the validity is 36 months, then you have got a long period of time to recruit for those positions um, without being concerned that the LMIA is going to expire before you even have a chance to, you know, to bring the workers in because it takes a long time to recruit as well. And, uh, and then, of course, the simplified process. So once you've done it right, then a lot of that data is going to be repopulated or pre-filled when you go to submit again once you're one of those uh, you know, recognized employers. And then another little thing that they, <laughs> that they like to highlight is that on the job bank, you know, you will have this little identification of yourself as a recognized employer. So when people are searching for jobs, they'll be like, oh, this is one of the good ones. So these are just some of the pros why, you know, companies will want to take a look at this, but just time savings, longer duration of LMIAs, um, all of those things are really why it's a good thing, but you know, it, it you know it's on on the surface, 
how many employers are really going to be able to benefit from this? It is, you know, it's not going to be a large, large number because of the history of LMIAs. And like you alluded to, Alicia, during the pandemic, if they hadn't made this change, this carve out to say, okay, well, we can go back even further, um, you know, because of the pandemic, many companies were completely shut down. So I think they were realizing pretty quick, wait a minute, most of the employers we're actually trying to capture here wouldn't be eligible based on these these rules. So they've made those changes. Yeah, and to set the context a little bit, the reason that we can now have this recognized employer pilot is because everything has now transitioned to the online LMIA process. And so because everybody has to submit now through the LMIA portal, it is possible for the government to track things a little bit more carefully. It's possible for them to save all those fields, the pre-filled in fields from the LMIA online application. And then if people qualify for the new wrap, then most of those will be filled in and employers really just have to put in the job offer information. So it will be a simplified LMIA application process, which is good news for employers who don't wanna have to go through you know, the 37 screens and make sure that they have all their drop downs filled in because most of it will be there. But do keep in mind that there are some some pitfalls in terms of if the company has not had a completely stellar or a clean history, they're not going to be eligible for this program. So if they've had negative LMIAs, or been refused, if they've had inspection history where they couldn't demonstrate that they had completed everything or complied with program requirements properly, if they've certainly been found non-compliant in the past, if they have an employee who made a credible allegation against them that they were putting employees at risk for health or safety, and this is a super important one too, Mark, they said employers cannot have affiliated companies, so anything that had common control or non-arms length companies that have any of those negative things either. So anybody who is not squeaky clean here is not going to be eligible or will not benefit from this program. And Alicia, one thing that wasn't clearly laid out there, and I don't know what your thoughts are this, on this are, like how far back will they go to determine if a company has, you know, is, has a clean record? You know, will they go back to 2005 and at one point in time they, you know, maybe there was a wage issue with one of their workers? You know, it's not clear how far back and, you know, if this company has never ever in the history of their existence or interaction with the temporary foreign worker program, is that what's going to be required that they've never had any negative, you know, um, you know, any issues of, of non-compliance? Is it that or is it just over the five year period they're looking at? Like we don't know. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully it would be that they're looking at program integrity. I guess I can see the argument for them to say if there was ever any issue, they may not consider them for this. The other thing to keep in mind is that the only way to opt in or to apply for this is really to file a new LMIA application after January 2024. And there's going to be some new mechanism to say that, yes, you also want to be considered for the recognized employer program. And then it's really up to ESDC to decide whether based on that corporate history, they are going to consider that or not. So what, um, okay, so we know that the same LMIA rules are basically going to apply. You know, you still have to pay the $1,000 fee. You still have to comply with all the existing, you know, policies for high and low wage applications. 
Um, so those things will still remain, and including the consequences of violation, right? Um, but what does an employer actually need to commit to doing? Is there is there anything else that they've uh, set out, you know, that, okay, now you're in this program, well, these are some added expectations we have for you as a result of being included in this special club. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that LMIA application, there's a whole page on, you know, the employer has to certify and declare that they will do the following things. So they still need to do all those things. And it's a giant page of text. And I know when people are confronted with giant pages of text, they also just usually go, sure, and then they click continue. But make sure that the employer really understands what each of those obligations are. Because if you are found non-compliant, you're going to get kicked out of this program and there's going to be negative um, consequences for the company. So in addition to all the regular things, they have to participate or agree that they will commit to participate in random check-ins with ESDC, which are scheduled to start in 2025. These little random check-ins are not full employer compliance reviews and they're not audits, but ESDC is fully within their rights to still do an employer compliance review or an audit. What the check-ins are designed to do is just to make sure that an ESDC officer is randomly selecting companies under the wrap to reach out to them to make sure that everything is on track. So hopefully companies can then make sure that they have all their documentation in order, that they are doing a couple other things, one of which is completing an annual wage review based on the updated median wages. So we know that every November, this is when JobBank and the StatsCan updated wage information comes out. This is when you always have to be careful to take screenshots of your median wages, make sure that you show that you're changing your advertisements if in fact that wage has gone up. And for employees who are already employed, if you had hired them a few years ago or a year ago, then you need to at least on an annual basis, go back, check that median wage. And here's the funny part. If it has gone down, you can't change it down. But if it has gone up, then you would have to change it up and prove that you've done so. It's interesting as you, so, you know, as we, as we follow this through, <clears throat> we know that, it, you know, it's going to be valid until, I guess, technically December 31st or the fall of 2026 is what they've indicated. And we know that if an LMA is issued for 36 months, well, you know, that's great. Then, then that extends through, but the last date for applying September 16th, 2024 for intake you know, employers need to be active. They need to be doing this right away so that they have a shot at it. And then after that, sure, you can apply for additional labor market impact assessments um, after the September 16th, if you've already considered to be a rep. <clears throat> but it'll be interesting to see long-term how this plays out. Um, what have they said about the list themselves, Alicia? Have they indicated anything about, you know, whether they intend to change the the knocks on the list or if they, the you know, the particular industries that they focused on, have they alluded to anything along those lines? Mm-hmm. And this was an area for confusion as well, because when they initially talked about this back in August, they had referred to the COPS, um, the Canadian Occupation Projection System. And the list there was a little bit different than the final list that's ended up in phase two. So it's important to go check out what's on that phase two list, because it's not everything that was in COPS as a job that's in shortage. Um, those 84 occupations that are on the phase two list are set 
ESDC says they are not going to change them. So that is what they've indicated in some of their um, presentations, that that list is kind of set in stone because they are chronically um, occupations that have shortages across Canada. And they've looked at their statistical data to, to, to determine that. Some of those occupations they've actually carved out of the 84. They've said that that's already represented by GTS, so they're not duplicating them. But those 84 occupations are what they are. Um, it is interesting too, because one of the requirements for committing to do things under the rep is that it says companies have to continue to try to hire Canadian mm -hmm. citizens or permanent residents. And so what does this mean? What does that actually translate to you in, in real time? Well, theoretically, employers then should keep some ads on JobBank. They should keep showing that they are trying to advertise and recruit throughout this period to make sure that they can meet that additional commitment. And that's the interesting part of this whole system. If they're issuing an LMIA that's valid for 36 months, right? And uh, I, I think, okay, we're going to allow you to have this open, but we still expect you to, you know, try to keep filling. Um, the employers that are at, that are going to be requesting larger numbers are going to benefit from this a whole lot more than a, a company, let's say, who is only looking for one or two positions. And that and that's a reality. Um, if you have a, an a, you know an open unnamed LMIA for 25 spots, yeah, it'll take you a while to fill it. And for sure, there's probably going to be an expectation that you'll continue to try to find Canadians throughout that process. But individuals and companies that only have a few that they're requesting and then the position is filled to then say, well, you still have to keep posting for that position that's been filled by the foreign national um, when it was a dual purpose. Let's say, you know, it was, uh, you know, there was no transition plan involved. It'll be interesting to see what they really mean by that in terms of continuing to. Um, you know, try to hire Canadians. And arguably, when you're bringing in skilled individuals, uh, you know, uh, you know, there's an expectation there's going to be skilled transference and there, you know, the, the, the expertise that they bring is going to be transferred to Canadian workers. And maybe you can hire some new ones and, you know, creation of jobs that way. But there's a lot more information that needs to come out. And, you know, we're already into this, you know, the ag sector is already starting to use this. And it's surprising that there aren't more clear you know, the instructions being being provided so employers know what they need to do. Yeah, and it, that's a good point too, Mark. So one of the things, especially if you are in ag and you were having to provide housing for workers, that the extra commitment is that you do complete those annual housing inspection reports, make sure that you're addressing deficiency on an annual basis and you're continuing to comply with that. Same thing if you are hiring in the low um, wage categories and you did provide housing for employees, then make sure that those annual housing inspection reports are done as well. So things to think about, about this new recognized employer program. I think overall, it is a fantastic development. It's trying to do exactly what we want to reward the good actors and to make sure that people know who is acting with integrity and who's doing it right. Yeah. And it's been interesting to see over the last 20 plus years, how this whole process has evolved. You know, there was a time um, where we had a list of occupations where you didn't need to advertise. And if you were seeking an LMIA for those occupations, if it's more just filling out your own information and making sure that they had the details of your job offer, but recruitment wasn't required. And then they drifted away from that process and they've had trusted employer kind of processes in the past. So 
hopefully they've learned a few things from those and that this will be a positive uh, move forward. But even if you as an employer um, are not eligible for this, that's okay. You still have the ability to use the LMIA process in the way that you did before. And uh, yes, it is a painful process trying to get through all of those hoops. And as we've worked with more and more companies recently, um, it's a challenge. It really is to make sure everything is, is right. But once you get it right, when you put the, the heavy lifting in first, then the process isn't as bad the second and third times. So if you're a new employer to this and this is the first time you're hearing about this and you think, well, okay, if I get an LMIA approved, can I then benefit you know, from this program later on? Well, for this go around, no. It's designed for employers who already have a track record with ESDC. But usually there's very few pilots that I've seen around that have not become permanent programs. It's always possible that they end at the end of 2026. They don't do it anymore. But, uh, but I suspect if you're a company who you know, knows you're going to be facing labor shortages for years, come, years to come, that this is something you should consider uh, initiating right now with your LMIAs and, and moving forward. And then we'll see how it all plays out. Mm-hmm. And just to clarify one point that I think a lot of employers and HR managers may not appreciate, when we talk about the LMIA validity period, so it's currently, it used to be six months, now it's 18 months for a regular program. It's going to three years, 36 months. Keep in mind that that LMIA just needs to be valid at the time that the worker submits their work permit application not at the time that that work permit is actually issued by IRCC. So it does give you a lot more of a runway than people expect because, you know, some countries it's taking upwards of five, six, seven months, maybe even a year for that worker to get their work permit. But as long as they've submitted a complete application before that LMIA expires, it's okay. So it actually gives employers a nice strategic runway to figure out, okay, I know that this occupation is always in demand. The statistics are bearing it out because it's on the phase two list. Let's proactively do a bulk unnamed LMIA. Let's ask for the positions that we know that we're reasonably going to need for the next three or actually really four years by the time the worker gets there. And let's do that ahead of time so that we're not always kind of behind the eight ball trying to to make up ground when we have identified employees overseas who are actually going to fit our needs. And that's a really good point because we have a lot of discussions with companies who are looking to get into the, you know, this process of, of retaining foreign nationals. Obviously, we look at every possible avenue out there that does not require an LMIA. But at the end of the day, when you're in an industry where there really are not, you know, there's not too many other programs that you can benefit from and you just need to go through the LMIA process, it might be painful in the beginning. But understand, everybody has to do this. So if you within your industry, um, it's, it's painful and you just bite the bullet and you do it, understand If your competitors are holding off and saying, oh, I don't want to do that, that's a lot of work or it's expensive, well, you are going to be ahead of the game. And so sometimes you have to make initial sacrifices for long-term benefit, and this just happens to be one of them. All right. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for joining with us today on this uh, special little business immigration series on the Recognized Employer Pilot. We will definitely have a follow-up to this once it hits the pavement running here in January. And uh, if you have any 
um, inklings of, of engaging with this process, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Um, the easiest way is to just go to our website at wholethelaw.com and then just click on uh, book a consultation or speak to a lawyer and it'll allow you to set up a consult at a time convenient to yourself. Thank you, Alicia, for joining us and uh, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to everyone, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, But we hope and expect 2024 to be just as awesome as 2023. All right. Take care, everyone. Journey Business Plans is the leading immigration business plan writing service provider in Canada. With more than 10 years of experience, Journey has grown to become a trusted partner for immigration consultants and lawyers. Journey focuses on preparing business plans for a number of immigration applications, including intercompany transfers, startup visas, significant benefits, self-employed, PNPs, and so much more. Their main competitive advantages are reliability, responsiveness, and overall customer service, and I can attest to that. For those of you who don't yet know about Journey, ask your colleagues about them. They're amazing. Or even better, try out their work. You can visit their website at www.jooorney.ca and mention you listen to my podcast with the code HOLTHYJOURNEY10. That's H-O-L-T-H-E-J-O-O-R-N-E-Y number 10. And that'll provide you with a 10% discount on your very first business plan for new lawyers. We're so grateful to have Journey Business Plans as the title sponsor of this podcast. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian immigration law policy and practice. If you would like to book a legal consultation, please visit www.holtylaw.com. You can also find lots more helpful information on our Canadian Immigration Institute YouTube channel, where you can join Mark on one of his many Canadian Immigration Live Q&As. See you soon, and all the best as you navigate this crazy world we call Canadian Immigration. Say